So, but I remember that guy, Paul, and I got on my knees and I said, I don't know what the heck to do here. What should I do, God? And somehow I heard, call Paul. So I called Paul and he couldn't have been more kind and loving and caring. He said, I've been waiting for your call. He said, one, I love you. He said, and then he said, the most important thing to me, any other alcoholic in my life has ever said to me. He said, I know how you feel. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Howdy, howdy. From Studio AA, deep in the heart of Texas, that thar was the voice of Mr. Rick R. that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 250. And you are going to hear so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Dave and Annabelle. What may you ask did Dave and Annabelle do? Well, they went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow Donate tab, and they made a, a contribution. Thank you so much, Dave and Annabelle. This episode number 250 is coming right out to Ewan's. Now, you may have noticed that when I did that brief introduction there. I uh, usually stay from Studio A, deep in the heart of Texas. But my friend Ernie, who I saw at a meeting recently, came up to me and said, you know, you should say Studio AA. And I liked that. That made so much sense. So shout out to you, Mr. Ernie. Thank you so much for your suggestion. I really do appreciate it, (laughs) even though you're very mean to me sometimes. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Remember, no matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table to all. All right, so... What do we got here? Um, I wanted to read this. This is from Mr. Jason. He posted this in the Super Secret Facebook group. And he says, 
this is something that he posted for, and Jason posts on a very consistent basis in the Super Secret Facebook group. He says in there, this is from the 12 and 12. It's on page 75, and it just caught my attention. And it says, in every case, pain had been the price of admission into a new life. But this admission, but this admission price had purchased more than we had expected. It brought a measure of humility, which we soon discovered to be a healer of pain. And once again, that's from the 12 and 12, page 75. I'll read that again. In every case, pain had been the price of admission into a new life, but this admission price had purchased more than we expected. It had brought a measure of humility, which we soon discovered to be a healer of pain. The 12 and 12, page 75. Thanks for posting that in there, Jason. I appreciate it. All right, now on to Mr. Rick R., the featured guest of the week. So Rick R. is... Sorry, I have to get something here. My apologies. That's a... Just trust me, it's been complicated getting ready for this. <laughs> I won't bore you with all the minutia. Rick R., uh, this one is entitled, I Know How You Feel. Rick has been sober since December 7th of 1982. Yes, that's almost 40 years. Uh, and by the way, Rick is also another big contributor in the uh, Super Secret Facebook group. If you're not in there and you want to know how to get in, go to the your Facebook application, uh, search for Sober Speak Secret Group, and ask for admission, and uh, we will get you in there. Anyway, uh, Rick is in there all the time uh, posting some really good stuff. Anyway, we discussed Rick's recent health battles, uh, his time as an agent in Hollywood and in the rock and roll field. Uh, Rick was a member of the famed uh, Pacific Group of Alcoholics Anonymous in California, and he discusses that time in that group. Uh, we also talk about meditation, forgiveness, Chuck Chamberlain, and much more. By the way, Rick is a recent, not a recent plant transplant, but he is a transplant from uh, the state of California. And anyway, while I'm talking about that, I'm thinking about how many Californians we've had come to the great state of Texas recently. We've had quite a few. Uh, we've had a... Uh, I don't know, what would you call it? A, a buku. That's a weird word, isn't it? Buku. We've had a buku of Californians move to uh, the state of Texas, and uh, and they're still coming. Uh, anyway, I'm just, now I'm kind of stuck on that word buku and what that means and what it doesn't mean. And uh, anyway, um, and it also makes me think of, I'm sorry, I am really going off on a tangent here, but nonetheless, there was that Saturday Night Live skit. It was called, if, if, you, if you look it up on the internet, I'm sure you can find it. It's called The Californians. And <laughs> that skit is so funny. Every one of them, 
<laughs> Every one of them. Uh, see, like all of the various characters in the Californians, they have uh, bleach blonde hair, <laughs> very tan, tan skin, and they all have kind of a Californian accent. Like one of the one of the major characters in it, if I remember, his name was Stuart, and they all call him Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> they keep saying his name over and over, and they're all looking in the mirror on a very <laughs> consistent basis, and they all talk about <laughs> the various freeways and roads, and they say, "A start, take the five down to the Monticello Avenue, and they get on the sixty-four till you get to the four hundred five, and they put the in front of every single." <laughs> street that they talk about anyway you may want to look it up on the internet you may not but for me it was hilarious uh once again it's called the californians and i'm so sorry to digress and take away time before you actually get to hear our featured guest his name once again is mr rick r Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Rick R. And we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Rick R. Rick R. is recently... so. Well, first of all, Rick, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, give your sobriety date if you wish, and we'll take it from there. My name is Rick Rogers. I am a grateful alcoholic, and my sobriety day is December 7th, 1982. December 7th, 1982. So do the math for us there. How many years is that? In December, it'll be 40 years. That is fantastic, Rick. God bless the, you. The, the one thing you get with 40 years is old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rick and I are, this is a little bit unusual. And when I say unusual, Rick and I are recording remotely right now. However, Rick lives probably five miles down the road from me. And usually when people live five miles down the road from me, I will have them come up here to what I call Studio A. We'll do a little bit of a recording and then we'll uh, publish it for everybody. But in this particular case, Rick was not able to come over and walk up my stairs. So why don't you go ahead and give just a little a background on that. And what has happened to you recently, Rick? So I recently had major back surgery. It was supposed to be minor. The doctor said I'd be out the next day. I ended in the hospital for five days and then 22 days in a rehab hospital. And I got out with a wheelchair and a walker. And now I just have a brace. And uh, I am not homebound, and I feel uh, mentally and spiritually better than I ever have. And physically, it's coming along. Uh, I'm doing very well. So, okay, well, and, and the reason you couldn't come over here is because of the stairs, right? That's the one well, obstacle. Well, I only do 12 steps, and you have 20. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was kind of funny. He said, uh, uh, I don't know if I could come over. I can't do stairs. And and then this was like two or three weeks ago. And uh, so I asked him, I said, well, can you get upstairs now? And he said, was like on a text, well, like laugh out loud. How many steps do you have? And I was like, oh, wow, I've never counted them before. <laughs> well, uh, I got released from uh, in-home physical therapy on Friday. And the last thing we did was some steps and stuff. 
So I think everything's, I'm going to get cleared on everything this coming week. Okay. So you say where you are doing mentally, so mentally and spiritually, do you're doing better than ever. Explain that to me. What's going on? Well, I think the, uh, the, the forced slowdown, if you will, by being in a uh, controlled environment with a lot of people from all over the world that take care of you, it taught me how vulnerable I was and how important God is in my life, not only to help restore me to sanity, but to physical well-being. So I turned it over. I listened to the people there. It was an amazing experience within the rehab facility because a lot of the nurses and doctors and stuff um, are from all over the world, from Nigeria, from Ghana, from Ethiopia, uh, from Iran. And um, I'm a talker. So a lot of conversation was about how they got here, what they did, and they were of service to the max. And I, I, I so appreciated that. And it was such a turn on for me that I realized that's what my life's all about. That's fantastic, Greg. So tell people, you, and by the way, I, just for, for those listening, I, I've kind of watched from the outside looking in. I know this was a major, major surgery like Rick talked about, and uh, I'm just so glad you're coming along so well. And how, how do you uh, dovetail Alcoholics Anonymous into that story? Because I've heard you talk about it, uh, but just give me a little backdrop on that as well. Well, within the hospital, it was so bad that they were feeding me morphine and laxatives. And so my bowels were not my own. And I kept saying, I don't want any more drugs, no more drugs. And then when they moved me to the rehab facility, they want to give you pain, muscle relaxants and stuff. And I said, unless I'm in an absolutely acute pain, I don't want any of that stuff. So, I mean, the truth of Alcoholics Anonymous is that uh, I don't drink, I don't use I don't take anything that affects me from the neck up unless you have to. But how easy it is to get addicted to stuff in a hospital when the doctors don't know anything about our disease and they just keep feeding you pills. So like you said, you are a go-getter. I know you're not from this area. When I say this area, Texas. Um, why don't you give me a little background where you came from and how you ended up in Texas? So uh, I was born in New York City. Um, and we moved around a lot. Uh, crazy household. Uh, mother is an alcoholic. Uh, she left me with my grandparents. Uh, I lived in New York, Long Island, Miami Beach. Uh, had several different last names. Ultimately decided, being a liar, cheating, and thief, I'd go into show business. And uh, <laughs> ended up going to uh, college in Boston and started to produce the number one radio and television talk show there which brought me to Los Angeles to work for a major television star. Then I became an agent and I did rock and roll. And then about 15 years ago, our first granddaughter was born in Los Angeles. And uh, my wife wanted to move here. And uh, I was coming here for business at the time because I had transitioned into the digital world and automotive um, probably three times a month. And uh, I had a lot of accounts in the Dallas area and Houston. The company said, why don't we just pay for you to move there? You're there all the time anyway. So that was it. So we moved here and uh, looked around to find similar sober people. It was not easy for me. It was easy for my wife. Wow. So you said it was not easy for you, but it was easy for your wife. Explain that. 
I, I came from a very active, aggressive, positive group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Los Angeles. And on the, the Wednesday night meeting had almost a thousand people. There. Is that the Pacific group? It is. Okay. And uh, my wife is, a, is not from the Pacific group, but I had a lot of experience in that community, both non-Pacific group and Pacific group. And instead of looking for the similarities, I responded to the differences. You know, it's like you go to different places, you guys don't know how to do it. Right. And then, and then finally I surrendered. And when I found the Frisco group, it was like a lightning bolt of positive for me. Wow. And so, but you recently just found the Frisco, right? You, so you've been here for like, what you say, 15 years or so, right? 14, 14 plus years. Okay. And so, and you recently found the Frisco group about a year ago. Right. Uh, and I, I can just attest from my perspective, we're so excited to have both you and Diane that attend the Frisco group. Um, and so, so for those 14 years, did you feel kind of like a, a little, a, a void? Well, I did. We started out, uh, at, uh, the Chicago group, which some very, some lovely people there. And, but it was really basically one meeting a week, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm used to in Los Angeles, even though the, the Pacific group was Wednesday night in LA, but there's seven to 10 meetings of the same, uh, mindset, if you will, in different places, just different names. And so, so that worked for a while. And then I wanted to expand a little bit. And then we went to Georgetown and met some other really nice people. And then we went to, uh, clean air North, uh, which actually were there last night. My wife gave lovely Naomi an eight-year chip. And something was missing for me, the, the, uh, the positiveness of recovery. I don't want, I'm not running for office. I left my robe and gavel in Los Angeles. So I don't want, I'm not here to judge anybody. <laughs> but when I started to walk into the Frisco group and met people like yourself and other people, people were sharing from the heart. They were talking about recovery. They were talking about sobriety. Half the people in the room have their 12 and 12 or uh, big book open. They were, re you know, and in the birthday night, people were not talking about themselves when they gave a chip. They were talking about the quality of life that the person they had worked with, where they were at in life. It just exploded for me. So I try to go every, every day at noon, wherever possible. And uh, I feel very blessed today. Okay, so let's talk about your story a little bit. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff that happened before you got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, why don't you give us a thumbnail sketch of you know what you want us to know about? I, obviously, we know a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and stuff like that. But what's kind of a just kind of a like I said, a, a real thumbnail sketch of your life before getting to Alcoholics Anonymous? I, I believe that I was born an alcoholic in the sense that I never felt part of. I always had a secret, something's wrong with me. I could never raise my hand in elementary school because they'd find out how anxious I was or how frightened I was. Again, we moved around a lot. When I was 10, my mother was taken away uh, in a straitjacket to a uh, recovery place in Connecticut for alcoholics. And I never lived with her again, basically. Um, I lived with my grandparents. And again, we, I went to... Um, Columbia Prep in New York till the fifth grade, Long Island, sixth grade, Miami Beach, seventh and eighth grade, private school, ninth grade in Woodmere, Long Island, and then 10th grade, Lawrence High School. And then I started to get in trouble for uh, controlled substances. And so they sent me away to a prep school. Uh, 
And at 15, I went away to this prep school, never went home again. Wow. And so what were you thinking when you were a teenager? Did you feel uh, left out? Did you feel like angry? Did you, wh- what were you feeling during that time? Well, I felt very lonely and very fearful, but the drugs and alcohol took care of that. That was my medicine for a long time. And I started to become the guy that you could go to. Uh, I was a purveyor of fine herbs, roots, and medicaments. (laughs) (laughs) This is a long time ago. And, um, it was, uh, it made, that made me feel part of, but all this moving around, all the craziness, uh, I went to, uh, my freshman year in college, I went to a school called Bard College, which is an elite liberal arts school, uh, school up in Annandale in the Hudson, New York. And I went there as an acting major and to have sex with women. And I did not accomplish either. I failed <laughs> it both terribly. <laughs> and then I, then I transferred to Boston, went into broadcasting and had a, had a terrific career for a long time. So talk to me about your career. I mean, I know you kind of glossed over it a second ago, but it sounds pretty uh, exciting. I, I don't know, you know, what you, uh, what details you can and can't give, uh, but I'm, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about it. Well, been there, done that. So uh, tr- truth of the matter is that um, when I started, uh, our little guy just came in. Um, I, when I started in Boston, um, I got... Uh, there was this thing called the WBZ Radio College Workshop, which is Westinghouse Broadcasting. And all the, there's 100 plus schools in the Boston metro area that their students that had a broadcasting uh, curriculum uh, submitted half hour documentaries and stuff. So at the end of the first year, I, I had won the first five awards. And then... Um, I wanted to go to Los Angeles to seek my fame and fortune, but then they offered me a job producing that show. And so, again, it was the number one talk show in New England, uh, five nights a week on radio, five mornings a week on television. The, uh, the, the guests ranged from uh, Malcolm X to uh, you know, Steve McQueen. I mean, I, it, was, it, was, it was the show. Wow. And then the, the company trusted me enough to go to uh, – Pittsburgh, Philly, uh, a few other cities, Baltimore, and put the same format on the air there. And then I got one of the guests that we have was this guy, Steve Allen, who was one of the hosts of the Tonight Show. And Steve yeah. had his own syndicated show in Los Angeles and invited me to come to Los Angeles and be an associate producer on that. So I did that. And then uh, agenting. And then I went in the rock and roll business for a long time, which was dope sex and cheap thrills. <laughs> and then then it became very expensive thrills <laughs> <laughs> what was it i've heard you use this line before about uh, something about a hot tub i was in a hot tub and i thought oh, oh. so I, I actually stole that from argus in los angeles so he he begins his pitch and says here i am in beverly hills on the roof of my 12 million dollar mansion with a pound of the finest cocaine the best champagne there is with the best hashish in the hot tub with three beautiful naked women, and thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous, I never have to live that way again. <laughs> but I, I, I stole that; it's not mine. <laughs> That's funny. I do love it. Okay, so 
So you, so you have this career. When did you start making your way, if you will, toward uh, Alcoholics Anonymous? When did you start realizing you had a problem? Well, for a long time, I never realized I had a problem. I kept having financial difficulties. I went from running a record company to doing this, to doing that. I was a uh, global vice president of a music publishing company for one of the three or four major studios in the world. And it got personally, it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, free base cocaine was a uh, uh, part of my story. Uh, I identify as an alcoholic because within the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and everything that I've ever learned or done, that's what my recovery is. But it got worse and worse and worse. So uh, it was time for me to leave the film studio. Now, my stepdad had a friend that was kind of a wise guy from New York that had this little store in Beverly Hills, California. Now, I was a single parent. I was living in Beverly Hills. I had a rent control apartment. My son came to live with me. Uh, ultimately, he couldn't live with me anymore because of my behavior. But this guy, Chick, saved my life in the window of his little restaurant hot dog store in Beverly Hills. He had a little push cart. And so we had licenses to sell hot dogs on the streets in Beverly Hills. So this <laughs> drug addict alcoholic became the Beverly Hills hot dog man. <laughs> and I worked, I worked seven days a week. I, had a, uh, I was on Rodeo Drive on Saturday in front of a bank because they were closed. I did parades. I did the Little League games. And the, uh, the celebrities that came by the um, hot dog cart were superstar names. And I made, I made a living, but I was miserable. And then this uh, very attractive blonde lady came by the cart one day and she said, uh, you know, I'm in AA. I, you smell like uh, alcohol. I said, no, it's the sauerkraut. <laughs> but, but then this other guy named Paul, may he rest in peace. Um, I was kind of a crazy person on the streets, you know, um, and, and he was kind of attracted to me uh, and just watched my crazy behavior. And we started to talk a lot. And he had told me that uh, he was an Alcoholics Anonymous for a period of time. And if I ever felt that I had a need to do that, then when I found out that the blonde girl was an Alcoholics Anonymous, he said, come on, I'll take you. I'll show you where she goes. So I went in there and I heard people, <laughs> people were talking about their feelings and it scared the shit out of me. Pardon my language. I hope I can use that word. No, you're fine. And then uh, AA is not for me. You people, you know, my feelings were hot, cold, hungry, tired. That's it. And so that being said, um, it took about two and a half years my concept was the $125 hot dog, and I almost got arrested for that hot dog. Obviously, that was a gram of Coke and, and a hot dog. And it was, uh, it was an extraordinary time for me, uh, bottoming a day at a time. I went bankrupt. I had the IRS looking for me. The bank wanted to, you know, I couldn't understand why the bank wanted to talk to me. I, I had checks. The lights were on, but there was no money in the account. Um, and just a series of quote unquote, bad breaks and misunderstanding to quote Clancy. And then on Monday, December 6, 1982, which had just uh, come away from uh, Thanksgiving the week before that, um, my son on Thanksgiving came with his mom and said, we can't live there anymore. He's moving back with his mom in the San Fernando Valley. So that being said, 
that was my bottom for the next week. It was insanity. Uh, his, my son's birthday is uh, December 2nd. Um, I took him and four of his friends to Magic Mountain up in Valencia. I promised myself I wouldn't drink or use anymore. I was up for five days before that. I didn't have any money. A, a friend from this ch uh, the store that I had the hot dog cart in front of led, lent me his credit card so I could rent the car. And I had all these kids from Beverly Hills. I had to stop at McDonald's that morning um, with vodka and get orange juice and go in the bathroom just to take these. I mean, I could have killed these kids. So on Monday, December 6th, I got, you get stuff in the mail. Whiten your teeth, fix your garage door, a maid's coming, buy a vacuum, whatever, <laughs> whatever the mailer, right? <laughs> so I, I'm living in alcoholic filth. Uh, the place is disgusting. I'm not doing any laundry. Um, so I call up this company that was $35. This is 1982, December 6th. And um, this very attractive young girl and an older couple shows up and they looked at my apartment. And they wanted $75 to clean it, not 35 It was that bad. And I, that was a day, it was a Monday, I couldn't walk. I was so loaded from the days before. But my mind wouldn't turn off. And I kept hitting on her. And she said to me toward the end of the day, I'm sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. Have you ever thought you might have a problem with drugs and alcohol? Now, I'd never thought that before. Um, something happened to me there. See, there was no God because if the dope I'm selling you now is not pure, may you strike me dead now. And all that kind of stuff, because I, I, being so frightened and lonely and uh, screwed up in my head, God missed me when he passed out the good stuff. So, But I remember that guy, Paul, and I got on my knees and I said, I don't know what the heck to do here. What should I do, God? And somehow I heard, call Paul. So I called Paul. And he couldn't have been more kind and loving and caring. He said, I've been waiting for your call. He said, one, I love you. He said, and then he said the most important thing to me and the other alcoholic in my life has ever said to me. He said, I know how you feel. No one knew how I felt because I kept it from you. So I have a mask on. I'm X number of years sober in AA and people say, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, day at a time. And I need to grab your ankle and get in a fetal position and say help. <laughs> so, so I turned myself into Paul that night. He said, you don't have to get loaded anymore. Drink. Let's pour all this stuff out. He said, tomorrow is uh, Tuesday, December 7th, 1982. I'm picking you up at 6 o'clock. We're going to go get some coffee. Then we're going to this meeting. And the meeting was 2 plus 2 in Westwood. And I was willing to do anything at that point. So I walked into this meeting at 2 plus 2 in Westwood and in the basement of a church on Westwood Boulevard. The uh, stained glass on the window said, God is love. And I walked in and there was my buddy Ned and my buddy Bobby Ann and my and, and and John was the secretary, and I'm going. You guys are in AA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I go, you know, anonymous, my bud. I knew everybody there, <laughs> but I was warmly welcomed, and they hugged me, and the, and I've never seen the girl that twelve stepped me for that cleaning crew ever again, and the man that spoke that night, I've never seen him again either. But when he told his story, I go, that's me. That's me. And he told a story of faith and hope and recovery. And then I went to like 90 meetings in 90 days, uh, started to get very active. It was a very social time of these people. It was uh, Christmas party, New Year's Eve party. You know, and I, I'd go to these parties and I go, you know, these are what the 
other kids in high school did for Christmas and New Year's, not me. <laughs> and then um, I was wandering around Beverly Hills for almost a year, not feeling it. Uh, Paul and I had decided to go our own separate ways. I had gone back into the entertainment business. A man that I had previously been in business with in the, in the record business and was roommates of mine years before, uh, who was also sober, said, please come in here. I'll take care of you. Be my assistant. And we made a lot of, uh, we made rock and roll records for a superstar female artist uh, who's still a superstar. And uh, I went over there and things started to change. For me. I got a car, uh, my little $200 Toyota. Um, and then I, want, I went to hear this man Clancy speak at uh, one, of the, one of the meetings. And they would make fun of the Pacific Group where I was. So I was in Beverly Hills. So I was comparing your Ferrari and your... Mercedes and your superstar status in the entertainment business with my, I don't, I'm the secretary and I used to sell hot dogs and I felt like a piece of crap. And then um, all of a sudden, Clancy didn't speak, but this uh, seven foot tall man spoke and his name was Ed, Big Ed, Reverend Ed Mutum. And he rocked my socks when he spoke. So I kept, I kept going back there trying to find him, trying to find him. I finally got his phone number. And he said, I'm speaking in Long Beach. Meet me here at 6.30 tonight. And uh, in the car, he asked me to be my sponsor. And my life changed right at that moment. I became a very active member of the Pacific Group. We did a lot of things. I ended up becoming uh, all kinds of uh, chairman of this, commitment to that. And then, of course, it became more than action. It became the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I was fortunate enough to be able to have gone through the book a number of times with a guy named Clint Hodges and a guy named Howard Polins and a guy named Vince Yo and, and Ed. And, you know, where I came come to find out that in that first step, the most powerful part for my foundation is that dash between powerless and unmanageability. I, and I've come to believe that obviously I'm powerless over everything. I'm powerless over uh, the results for sure. But it was strange for me to be unmanageable in the beginning. And that was a hard pill to swallow because I'm a manager. I managed this one. I managed that one. I started my own business. I ultimately went back and I got in the comedy business. And then I sold that business and, and did all that stuff. Then I went in the digital car business. And the path that God has put me on is extraordinary. And it became very easy for me to recognize my own insanity at that point. I came to believe that a power greater than myself. And I started to see lights on in people's eyes. I see people get relationships back or jobs back or be of service. I'd see one guy that I know very well started on somebody's couch doing nothing and sold his company for X number of millions of dollars. I mean, through no fault of his own. You know, he would say from the podium, uh, you know, I, I'm afraid to go to work. Um, every day that I come in, they're going to find out who I really am. <laughs> right. But then the, the, those steps, and then, so as I started to feel God in the room, which I did the first call that I made to Paul, yes, I know how you feel, and then that first meeting, we're glad you're here. I certainly, it was easy for me to turn my life and my will over to the care of God as I understood him. My concept has changed over the years. Um, I, I've done a number of fourth steps. So in going through the columns of those fourth steps, I have no secrets today, okay? I have been able to disclose and discard my grosser handicaps in all of them. And then I, I did a fifth step with Howard at the Self-Realization Fellowship. I did one with Clint. 
Um, I've, I've done what's, I try to do that fairly frequently every couple of years because what I am today is not who I was three or four years ago. And stuff comes up. I was a seeker for meditation. Um, my, uh, that's right, we're not on camera, Diana. <laughs> my wife just walked by. <laughs> now, I'll tell you about Hi, that. Diane. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, when I was uh, in school in Boston, uh, I was indoctrinated by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi at Harvard in 1964. As I said in the beginning, when you're 40 years sober, you're old. But, you know, so I, I went there and learned how to meditate. I was not as fluid with it based on the, you know, you smoke dope, you drink a lot of alcohol. It doesn't really work well with meditation. Mm -hmm. But many years later, after I got sober, the man that was with Maharishi then was in Santa Monica, California. And I called him up and he, uh, we redid a mantra check. So I've been able to use that. But I've changed to more thy will not mind, more all 12 stuff than a mantra from Maharishi. So as I did that fifth step, there was a, people would say to me, me too, me too, me too. And I didn't feel alone. I'm one of those guys that had that amazing experience. Some of six and seven has been somewhat of a challenge in the sense that uh, one of my grosser defects in the past has been lust. You know, God, can you remove that? Can you remove that? And then I get a message from God in meditation. I already did. You need to let it go. <laughs> so, so I understand the power of God in that, in, in that regard. And uh, I'm not one that says, quote, unquote, I work six and seven. You know, they told me in the beginning, here are the steps we took, which suggested. They told me, in your case, they are not suggested. Mm. They are mandatory. But we will, we will see six and seven. And the, uh, the eighth step became a miracle for me in some, in some areas. Uh, I, I made that list. There were people, institutions, principals, banks, people that I screwed over, uh, relationships, my parents. So I was able to, now, my biological father I hardly knew. And here's a miracle of this uh, eighth and ninth step. When I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to see him. My mother hated him. She was this alcoholic woman. When I'm in my 20s, I'm working in the rock and roll business. I'm in an office in New York City, I found him and I called him up. And then he called me up. We had different last names, another story for another time. Uh, so all that being said, um, my secretary said, there's a man named blah, blah on the phone. He said, it's your father. I never called him back. So in that eighth and ninth step and in prayer and meditation, I took responsibility instead of blaming somebody else. What was my role in it? What could I have done differently? And then I'm doing some training in a, in a digital world on Long Island in a car dealership some years later, and a lightning bolt came up. He's dead. He's buried here. The car dealership was two miles from the cemetery. I was able to go to that cemetery and sit there for an hour and talk to him and ask for his forgiveness. And one of the most important things through these steps, and then, you know, please forgive me, is how do you forgive yourself? So that, that's been the spiritual awakening for me. So as I do my 10th step, I review it at night. I don't write it down. But, um, you know, I used to cut people off driving or screw you or all that kind of stuff. I want to live happy, joyous, and free today. I want to be cash register honest. 
I don't want to judge you. Or I don't want to criticize you. Or I don't want to talk behind you back. I may not like some of the people. And that's based on I may see some stuff about myself that I see in them. But in, in this world, under God's green skies, which I call green because it's all about that, I would do anything in the world for another alcoholic if called upon. And as I got to that 10-step, uh, I continue to do that. When I'm wrong, I admitted it, my wife and I. So I met Diane in Alcoholics Anonymous, my third marriage. My wife's going to be 42 years sober. December 6th. I'm her newcomer. So I was, uh, <laughs> we were, we, this, it's her third marriage also. I was uh, kind of feeling sorry for myself at about four years of sobriety and sitting in this meeting. And she was the main speaker. She had six years. And here was an elegant woman that spoke a mile a minute from the heart that told the truth. And you know, you can tell if you're around a well, while who's, you know, putting you on and who's not. Mm -hmm. And I just flipped for her. I didn't see it for two years. My sponsor at that time, Howard Pollins, was speaking at a meeting in Santa Monica. She was there. So we started to date. We broke up. We started to date. I know nothing about relationships. You know, so it was the time of the uh, Kevin Costner movie where he got nominated for Dances with Wolves. And, you know, we gave each other Indian names. Uh, she broke up with me. And she said, my needs aren't being met. So I, I gave her her Indian name was List of Needs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and she... And she gave me an Indian name, Shit for Brains. <laughs> and then, then out of, you know, and I was, I was heartbroken. So I went to seek professional help. We're allowed to do that. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I totally believe was divinely inspired, says that we, we can do that. So I, I went to this guy that was the Urban Kinship Center, Stan. May he rest in peace. But he told me he didn't give a shit how I felt. Let's, I mean, it was like an Indian healer, shaman type of guy. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get a call from her daughter that it's her mom's birthday. Would I like to come? And one thing led to the other. In uh, February next year, we'll be married 30 years. That's fantastic. So we share. I have six grandkids. Uh, the life that I have been given as the result of this program is unbelievable. So, so so let me ask you real quick, because I get this quite a bit, and I'm sure you have gotten it. You know, first of all, relationships are generally speaking like flies on a screen door. Those on the inside want out, and those on the outside want in. And, you know, I've been married to my wife now for uh, 20 plus years. You've been married 30 plus years. And uh, I always have people asking me, you know, should I date somebody in the program? Should I date somebody outside of the program? You know, does it matter? What are your thoughts on that, Rick? I'm not a marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> <I just> <laughs> so at the, at the end of the day, I truly believe that God will show you what the right situation is. Uh, I don't have that experience today. I, I dated a lot of people not in the program before Diane and I got together. Uh, I would prefer not to be with somebody that drank heavily. Um, you know, Diane, and I, Diane has had the same sponsor all the way through. Um, I've had a sponsor for 30 years, whatever, same guy. My previous sponsors, they've all died. Uh, Vince died, and Clint died, and Howard died, and Paul died. So uh, um, I don't run around the house and run out the door. So we've both had some health issues. My job is to be of service, period. And 
Sobriety begins at home. Diane's the best thing that ever happened to me. She's amazing. And uh, I watch her sponsor a bunch of people, both in California. She's got a lady in New York. She's got a lady in Seattle. She's got somebody in New Orleans. I mean, it's great. And so in terms of relationship advice, uh, I'm not your guy. But, you know, but I mean, I have one guy that I sponsor that's having a very tough time in a relationship based on his own behavior. But we need to look at his behavior. What do you want? We need to write about it. We need to see where that the root cause of all that's coming from. Relationships are not easy, no matter what. Mm. But I'm blessed. I have a good one. That's great. So I want to talk a little bit, by the way, did you finish, I, you were kind of going through the steps there. Did I cut you off at some point to where you wanted to finish the step? Or two? Okay. All right. I got a question. Go ahead. So you talk, I've heard you talk about meditation before uh, in meetings and you just talked about it just a, a little bit ago here during this episode. I believe you, can you kind of get down to some brass tacks, if you will, talk about your your meditation routine, uh, maybe where it was in the beginning, where it's come, where it is now, anything you want to talk to about meditation? So in the, in the beginning, it was let's get the beads and the incense and the meditation pillow and stuff like that. And uh, I couldn't concentrate more than five minutes. I, Howard used to meditate every day for 30 minutes. And he'd invite me over there to do that. And he had a, an egg timer doing that. And I, I, you know, I'm a fidgeter. What about this? What about that? I'm living a few. I got to take care of this. Da, 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 da. So um, Chuck Chamberlain said, kid, your thoughts are meditations. You can take a deep breath and walk. So what I do simply, I don't have a formal, I'm going to sit down and meditate for a half hour at this time. It starts the minute I wake up. Uh, I follow a little bit of what I heard at the Self-Realization Fellowship, where the initial prayer is, Dear Father, Mother, God, Friend, Beloved God, Divine. And here I start with that. And I get very grateful for my life. Uh, I am truly blessed. I have everything that I need. I will never have everything I want. But I'm close. And, uh, you know, I get grateful to, to be, to wake up next to Diane. I know where I was last night, <laughs> you know, and I, and I go to these meetings and I see, you know, people just look at each other with love and, and, you know, so thoughts are meditations to me, good thoughts. I wish them well. I know that one of the ladies there who's only nine months sober shared about her grandmother being sick. And so, I mean, I grabbed her, are you okay? How's your grandmother? Do you need anything from me? Then a couple of people were really upset over some politics. I don't do politics. I'm not running for office, you know, but God's in charge, you know. I understand you know? that. And did you say you practice a, what's it? There's a particular type of meditation and, I, and the name is escaping me now. Uh, it's been around for a long time. Uh, oh, Transcendent TM. Do you practice TM? No. Um, so I, again, that's what I was indoctrinated in, in 1964. Maharishi gave me a mantra and then I had a mantra check. I find for me, as I start to go into that state using that mantra, I don't feel it's as pure for me as thy will be done. The power of God is in me. The power of God surrounds me. I am powerless. My life is unmanageable. So I've adapted that to what the 12 steps are to me and what they mean to me. And it's transitioned to 
100% Alcoholics Anonymous. What about forgiveness? I know you talked about that a little bit with your dad a little bit earlier, uh, what you could have done different, uh, um, kind of looking at yourself and such like that. Um, talk to me about just forgiveness in general, uh, what that has meant to you in your life, how it has changed you, how you've seen it change in other people. So uh, it was more difficult in the beginning. Uh, Clint had me write each uh, resentment, quote unquote, on a three by five index card at that point. And we made, um, we made stacks of the people that I'm never going to make an amend to, the people that I'm easy to make an amend to, and those that I'll get to at a certain point. And uh, so I had some issues with, uh, I think I disappointed my grandfather greatly. He's been dead a long time. And my grandmother was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Uh, another story, I'm working for a car manufacturer. And my grandparents are um, interred at a place uh, in uh, Westchester, New York. And uh, as we were driving across the bridge going to work with one of, one of my associates, I said, oh, my God, can, I, can we stop here? So then I went to their plaques and talked to them. So a lot of these things in my life today have come out in meditation. So I, my mother, we had a difficult relationship. Just before she passed, um, Diane and I were driving to California for some reason <laughs> from here. And we stopped and saw her in Palm Springs. She was in a nursing home. She died shortly thereafter. And I've, I talked to her a lot in my meditation. And I put her picture up on Facebook for Mother's Day. And I asked her forgiveness because what I realized is that in later life, I was an ass. And she didn't know any better. She was an out sick alcoholic. And here I am being angry at that time, lashing out. I had no right to do that. So I looked at my role in it and asked to be forgiven. And then I forgave myself for that behavior because I was not well either. There was one, one amends that I had to make where I asked for forgiveness from this guy. He threw me out of his office. I don't care about you. Another guy that I, I wrote to that we were roommates in prep school. And there was a little something with his ex-wife years ago. And he said to me, I you know, wrote him, I said, I'd like to talk to you. He said, Rick, I love you. I forgave you 30 years ago. You never, we don't even have to talk again. <laughs> so, so, you, you never, so I have a willingness. Right to walk across the street and say, I'm here. What about Chuck C? I wanted to talk to him about okay. him a little. I, I hear you talk about Chuck C a lot. And uh, uh, for those who don't know, is Chuck Chamberlain. Uh, oh, they, he was one of the bastions. Is that, is that the word of, of Alcoholics Anonymous? He, he was just really... Uh, uh, a great guy. And uh, wh what do you, uh, what do you take from him? What do you still, what do you think about him now? What did you learn from him? So a couple of things. My sponsor's name is Bob Regan, who's uh, 55 plus years sober, um, who Chuck was his sponsor for the first 20 years. And then a bunch of guys that were at that uh, Palomesa retreat, which yeah. became uh, new pair of glasses. Yeah. So, so Chuck was called the water walker back then. And I, I got to talk to him just a very little bit 
in the last uh, moments of his life, if you will. He was in a wheelchair most of the time, and he had oxygen and stuff. But he'd come and give Clancy his cake every year on October 31st. And um, so I started to listen to his talks and very much of his mindset. There's a guy named uh, John Ackling that was there who speaks a lot. Um, and a guy named Lynn Wilder and, and uh, some of those people that came out of that Orange County deal. And so his example of acceptance and talked about, when he talks about God, you know, it's conscious contact with, not conscious separation from. Uh, those words resonate tremendously. He had a son who was gay, uh, who was an actor, Richard Chamberlain. Um, and to come to accept that 50 years ago, you know, and love his son and not judge him for that after a while was a miracle. And his wife, Elsa, was one of the main Al-Anons out there as well. So, you know, there, there are people around the world that I admire for their example, whether it's starting with Bill or Bob or people like that. Okay, so you are speaking to uh, folks in all four corners of the world. Uh, is there anything that you haven't said uh, that you want to leave the audience with in terms of your experience, strength, and hope where Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps of your life is concerned? So I believe that I, I live part of a three-legged school st uh, stool, um, unity, service, recovery, body, mind, spirit, uh, steps, traditions, concepts. Uh, I can tell you that it was the greatest thing that's ever happened to me every day today still. Um, drinking and using has not been an option for me. Uh, Howard used to say being 20 feet underwater, breathing is not an option. Uh, <laughs> what I was told in the beginning that uh, you don't have to do this alone. Things will get better. Things will get different. But you never have to be alone. And for me, who was one of the loneliest uh, frightened people in the world to come here today and feel so blessed and so grateful and so abundant with God's love in my life. If you had asked me this 25 years ago, I'd say it's impossible. I love it, Rick. So I'm glad we finally got together. I know we were kind of working around your health there for a while, like we talked about in the beginning. And uh, this has been really cool to make this all happen. And uh, I so much appreciate you coming in here to spend some time with me today. Well, let me send my love, my respect. Uh, it's, my, it's a privilege to share this with you. And I love you and you're a great guy. And thank you for allowing me this. This is very special. Love back at you. I am going to read real quickly from uh, page 164 of the big book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. <coughs> Excuse me. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us like me and Rick as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Rick, thanks. Thank you. Thank you one more time, Mr. Rick. That was bukus of fun. So I've been able to use the word bukus like uh, three times in one day now. Nonetheless, um, we do not want you sharing your gossip, but we would love for you to share that episode with 
another friend, or a family member, you know what? It may be just what they need today. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback, and the first feedback comes in from Terry. And Terry says, hey, John, I just wanted to say thank you for your service. I have just reached my six-month mark, and I have been here before. I remain afraid I remain afraid of relapsing and and isolation still is hard for me. There are times when I have no choice but to be at home alone. At these times it helps tremendously to be able to say Alexa play the sober speak podcast. I'm so glad. But by the way, that uh, if if you're out there and you're wondering if that works with Alexa, it does. I've tried it before. She says it is invaluable to me. Isolation no longer means look away, look for a way to escape my loneliness. And now it now means turn on some John M. You fill that loneliness hole for me. Thank you for your service. Oh, God bless you, Terry. God bless you, and I am so glad you are on the right path, and uh, for what it's worth, I was in and out for three whole years. I'd get six months, I'd get three months, I'd get a little longer, I'd get a, a week, I'd get whatever, and I must have had 10 or 12 different desire chips that I threw in the trash drunk one night, so I know where you are, and I'm so glad you've gotten back up on that horse and are riding it again. All right, uh, now, and thanks for writing in, Terry. All right, so now we're going to play a little uh, voicemail here. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, uh, Am I going through puberty? I don't think so. It'd be be tough for me to go through puberty, but eh, who knows. But nonetheless, um, I am, uh, you know what? This COVID, I'm like on... Oh gosh, I just finished uh, seven weeks of COVID, and uh, it has uh, it has uh, it has remained. It has hung on. Uh, most of it, I am over with. You wouldn't know from looking at me, just kind of walking around and hearing me talking stuff like that. But you know, I'm still not completely over it. <clears throat> it has been quite a little battle. And once again, I know I'm not the only one going through this uh, out there. Uh, but if you're out there and you are still uh, going through, I guess what they call long COVID, uh, God bless you. Uh, I feel your pain. Uh, the fatigue uh, gets me more than anything. But anyway, my my apologies for digressing. We are going to play a little voicemail here from Les. Hey, John. My name is Les. I'm from Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, and I just celebrated 29 years clean and sober on July 10th. And I would love to be added to your Sober Speak page or wherever it is to talk with other alcoholics. I listen to your podcast almost every day when I'm cleaning or cooking or whatever. Keep up the good work, brother. You're doing a great job. God bless. Anyway, catch Ontario, Canada. Thanks, buddy. Have a good day. Thank you, Les, for that voicemail. I really appreciate it. Uh, all the way from Canada. It's amazing how technology works nowadays. Uh, Les can leave a voicemail from Canada, and we can just uh, we pick it up here and can play it back on a podcast. Uh, I'm still amazed by this stuff. I probably will be till the day I die. But anyway, uh, thanks for leaving that voicemail, Les. We do appreciate it. Now, a little bit of more uh, listener feedback. Emma, 
DMs on the Insta, and she says, Hi, John, I really enjoy the podcast. I'm coming up on my three months and working on step four with my sponsor. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then she gives a little uh, emoji. Gosh, I've never seen this one. It's like a little uh, uh, a heart, like a, you know, when you hold your hands, and I'm doing it right now, very awkwardly, but I'm doing it. When you hold your hands and you make a little uh, heart emoji with your hands, uh, it's one of those. But anyway, she says, I listen to your, listen to the podcast when I walk my dog and it has really helped me especially when I can't get to a meeting right away. That's great, Emma. Well, if you're walking your dog right now, uh, reach down, pet your little dog. Yeah, it could be a big dog. I don't know how big the dog is. Pet the dog and say, uh, John M. from Sober Speak says hello. And I'm glad that uh, we have been able to be part of your journey. Keep me posted, Emma. That's fantastic. <clears throat> Matthew writes in on Facebook and he says, Hey, John, I live in Oklahoma. I have a family in Brenham, Texas. By the way, just so you know, he wrote this like three months ago and I had to go back and forth with him and say, you know, I don't always check my DMs on uh, Facebook. It's a long story, but if you really need to, get, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, just write to John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. That is the easiest way. And I also do check the DMs on uh, uh, Instagram, but I don't know why, but the ones from Facebook just kind of uh, fall through the cracks. But nonetheless, he says, I, I have a family and I live in Brenham, Texas. Isn't your home group in Frisco, Texas? What's the name of it? I'd like to stop in and see you guys sometime if I if my travel allows me it. Um, and then, um, so... So I wrote him back and I basically told him, I, I basically attend two, mar two primary groups and, and, uh, all you may see about half of the guests on sober speak too. <laughs> if you come to the meeting, uh, there's two meetings I go to and a lot of the guests we bring on. Number one is the, uh, it's just the, it's called the Frisco group. And then the other one is, uh, another group that we have called the Frisco fourth dimension. And that one's on Saturdays only at noon. So, and we've had people stop in. I absolutely love it. I've had at least what, three people who stopped in and say, you know, I heard about this on the, on the podcast and we'd love to see, uh, anybody, if you're able to make it, you'll see me, uh, David G, Rick R, who we just recorded. You'll see uh, Casey. Oh, I know I'm going to, Jared. I know I'm going to leave out. Oh, th th there's just tons of people. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm trying to think, oh, Renee, uh, I'm trying to think of them off the top of my head. I'm going through the rooms and, uh, uh, Andrew, there's a ton of people that go to it and we'd love to see you nonetheless. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I wrote him back and, uh, he said, uh, uh, and his follow-up was, so amazing to hear from you. I just got off the road from a family vacation, catching up on several of your episodes. I'll definitely stop by someday. I'd love to meet you. Your podcast has gotten me through some tough times. Thank you so much. Again, it's amazing to hear from you. Big smile on my, my face and all the smiley emojis. Uh, he says, I got sober in South Florida. I moved back to Oklahoma a few years ago. Sober Speak was a staple in that transition. There are few meetings in my town. I've been listening to you now on and off for almost three years. Keep up the wonderful work you do. It has truly been a blessing in my life. Thank you so much. Back at you, Matthew. I hope to meet you someday. <clears throat> Penelope 
writes in, and Penelope says, Dear John, I am a grateful Al-Anon and a big fan of your podcast. Well, I'm a big fan of Al-Anon, Penelope. She says, I begin listening to it in order to understand my loved ones better. I have continued to listen to it because your guests and your interviews are so uplifting to me personally. The spirituality of their shares has been very helpful to me in my own spiritual growth with these steps. I feel like you're an old friend now, though I've never met you. Well, thank you. And I feel like you're an old friend too, just from our uh, conversations here via email. Um, And uh, she says, I love that you call your wife, quote, my beautiful bride, unquote. She does a beautiful job with the website as well. I look forward to your podcast every week. Thank you for your service to all of us who listen in. God bless you, Penelope. God bless you too, Penelope, and I appreciate it. And I'll uh, pass on the message to my beautiful bride, the lovely Mrs. M. Joe writes in, and uh, his uh, in the subject line is Marty C. He says, John, I really related to working the steps uh, in the parking lot, uh, in the car with my sponsor, like Marty C. He said, I was asked to kneel in the dirt and say the third step prayer with him. I have said it every morning since that day. By the grace of God, I have stayed sober since February 26th of 2018. Good for you, Joe. Such a powerful message by Marty C. God bless you, John, for all your great works that you do and that you share with all of us. Praying hands, heart emoji, Joe right back at you. Love and prayers back out to you, my friend. And I'm glad that you related to Marty C. so much. He is really a great guy. Selena writes in and she says, Hey there, John, my email is such and such. I'm a newcomer and I just finished my first AA meeting, which was beautiful. God bless you, Selena. And the host of the, of, uh, the meeting is a member of your super sober speak secret group and referred me to the Facebook group. Please accept me. Oh, it is my honor to accept you, Selena. I really need a solid community, she says. My environment isn't ideal, but it's all I have, and it's just me. I thank you in advance. And she has the exact same emojis that Joe has, a praying hand and a heart. Well, a praying hands and love right back at you, Selena. And uh, I'm glad that we can be a part of your sobriety. You can post anything in that super secret Facebook you want. Well, I say anything, but you know what I mean? Recovery related, recovery related. And uh, um, I'm sure you'll get some help there. Donna writes in and she says, hi, John, I attended the Frisco group and I think it was at the Tuesday noon meeting. I shared that day that I was visiting from the Richardson group and I had recently just lost my job. That may jog your memory. Yes, I do remember you, Donna. She said I was sitting by right by the door to the trailer uh, to the left as you walk in. Yes, I remember our conversation. Thank you, Donna. She says I've been making a lot of meetings and I picked up my desire chip on 
June 13th of 2022. I have been in meetings before back in 2004 to 2006 and left the program and I'm just now returning. I have a sponsor. Her name is Karen B and her home group was the Frisco group for some time, but she lives in Richardson now and that's where I met her. Her sponsor is Angela who shared at the new meeting uh, today at Frisco. I'm really staying very close to the program and I'm working with my sponsor on the steps. I am on step one at the present moment. I didn't actually meet you when I went to the Frisco group, but I did hear you share. My daughter's name is Danielle and she goes to the Frisco Frisco group and she's the one who told me about your podcast. Well, gotta like that, Danielle. (laughs) She says, I've, I've been doing a lot of meetings in between meetings. I think this is the first time I've went to AA that I'm not doing it for someone else. Good for you, Donna. I'm doing it for me. All of my kids are grown. I'm divorced from my husband for several years now, but I, I, but just also got out of a nasty relationship with a still using alcoholic, but is now relocated to Kansas. I have a wonderful support from my family and my friends, and I am truly blessed to have that. I have only heard a couple of the speakers on your podcast so far, as I just got the application on Audible a couple of days ago, but the very top one was very good talking about the 10th step. I think his name was David. I heard recently this person, I heard correctly, oh, if I heard correctly, this person has passed on and is in the big meeting in the sky. Uh, was how you introduced the recording. I got a feeling that's probably Sandy B. Anyway, she said, I don't know at what point he got my attention, but that resonated with me as I do have a spiritual malady and everything he said gave me hope and helped guide me, help guide my mind to a more positive place. The prejudice I had going into that podcast was mind-boggling as I was thinking to myself, why am I listening to a speaker on the 10th step when I am only on the first step? Let me tell you, that meeting spoke to me and that gentleman spoke to me and I'm going to listen to it again. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to listen to your speakers and always have a meeting between meetings. Look forward to many more and I hope to shake your hand next time I see you at the Frisco group and I plan to visit more often, Donna. Well, Donna, I'll look forward to shaking your hand and giving you a hug as well. God bless you. Francine writes in, and Francine says, good morning, John. Well, she probably wasn't yelling it like that. But anyway, she says, I currently reside in Southern California. I'm 42 years sober, and I've been active in some time for service where active in some form of service wherever I have lived. For most of my recovery, I also believe that my behavior is the true indicator of my recovery, that working the steps is more about rather what more about what I do rather than what I say I do. I found sober speak through a friend who interviewed who you interviewed, uh, and then shared the site with me. Oh, I wonder who that is. Anyway, she asked if I knew about the site, and I said no. You're in Southern California, so 
I don't know. It could be several people. Anyway, she says, I have, I have known many of your speakers for years. In AA, we have many wonderful speakers with compelling stories of recovery. We are gifted, Francine W. That's right, Francine. We are, we are gifted. You ever heard that thing about how, uh, like, uh, you hear in the rooms, though, um, about how smart alcoholics are, but, in the rooms is pretty much the only place you hear that. <laughs> you don't hear it in Al-Anon rooms, that's for sure. <laughs> anyway, uh, Annabelle writes in and she says, Hi, John M. I've been listening to your podcast for the past six months, multiple times a week. A little about me, John. My sobriety date is January 1st of 2006. Oh, I love that. 1-1-2006. She says, I'm super grateful to have been sober for the last 16 years plus because AA has given me a life where I am a mom, a wife, a full-time employee, um, and I don't get to as many meetings uh, as I wish I did. As I wish I could, I think. Anyway, some weeks it's just one, sometimes two. It's not enough to be to be to stay treated and spiritually fit. Supplementing with sober speak has been the key to maintaining that daily reprieve of not just drinking, but being emotionally sober. So thank you. I just listened to Amy D's episode and it touched my heart beyond anything I've heard in recent months. What she said about divine intervention being a product of all the prayers of others and the moments of silence reminded me of the power of prayer and of God as I understand the concept. My little family is walking through some difficult things. I have a six-year-old daughter with special needs and her journey has been full of gifts and love and also challenges. Amy reminded me that God was able to get me sober and bring me a life I never could have imagined and is now and is with me now too. I know some you sometimes put people in touch with speakers. If that's something Amy is willing to have happen, I would love to message her personally and let her know how her story has touched me. COVID has been very hard on AA in this little mountain town I live in. Your podcast has been irreplaceable for me. Also, never stop talking at the beginning and end. <laughs> okay. I always love it when you read the messages from crack. <laughs> <laughs> from crabby people that say you should talk less. <laughs> they remind me to they remind me to mind my own business and that I love that you keep on trucking. Thanks for all you do, Annabelle. <laughs> well, you hear that crabby people about me? <laughs> Just stay out of my stay in your own lane. Stay in your own lane, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And as you know, um, uh, uh, Annabelle, I got you in touch with uh, Amy, and I, I hope you all can continue the conversation, and I will get out of the middle. Uh, I, I found out from a listener here just recently, uh, Amy's going to be here uh, at, they call, I think it's the North Texas Roundup is, uh, at the yeah, middle of August, end of August, something like that, and I'm looking forward to going down and uh, 
Seeing her again, uh, Amy is quite a treat. So anyway, thank you, everybody. That is Uno Mas Semana of Sober Speak. I wonder how you say sober speak in Spanish. Anyway, Uno Mas Semana of El Sober de la Speak. How's that? Probably not. I doubt it. I doubt it very seriously, right? I'm just making up stuff. Um, but I'm trying to keep my bilingual skills sharp, if you will, sharp as a tack. Because, you know, it's kind of a, you know, you use it or you lose it, folks. Anyway, that's another week of Sober Speak. Uh, I take this one week at a time. I'll try my best to be back next week. Uh, Keep coming back. It works if you work it. May God bless you and keep you until then. Love you guys.